Okay, just a little bit longer. What a great, great passage we're looking at this morning. Uh, Galatians chapter 3. Um, I was preparing this and I thought, oh, where am I going to stop my sermon this morning? Shall I stop at verse 15? Oh, no, verse 16 is just so good. Shall I stop at verse 21? Oh, how can I leave out verse 22, 23, 24? Or how about I stop there? Oh, no, verse 26. Got to have that. Right, end of chapter 3. Let's stop there. Oh, look at verse 1 of chapter 4. How can I stop and not include that? It's just a brilliant passage. Just keep going. But chapter 5 is pretty good as well. So <laughs> let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we are here this morning in this place with you. And Lord, we've already remembered your goodness towards us on Calvary, on the cross, so many years ago. And Father, I pray now that, that as we look at what the Apostle Paul has written about the, the all-surpassing wonder of your promise and your grace, Lord, would it just speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that, that you would just, Lord, hold a Bunsen burner to our lives. Lord, that there would be a flame of your Spirit in this place this morning. Lord, speak through me, I pray. Amen. We've spent about a month now looking at Galatians. We actually started in John chapter 8 and, and Jesus speaking about freedom and, and if you believe in the Son of Man, you are free indeed. And, and, and we've moved on and we've come now to, as I said, this most wonderful part of Galatians. We're actually going to stop Galatians here for a while. If you look on the back of your Christmas bulletins from next week, we've got four weeks of, of Christmas-themed messages. But, but uh, almost as if it was planned, today leads us perfectly into Christmas. Uh, and we'll finish with the Christmas story at the end. If you remember the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to the Christians there because they are, put it politely, some twerps from Jerusalem, some real dropouts, who've arrived and they're saying to the Christians, the, the new Christians, the Gentile Christians, they're saying, if you don't keep to every single jot and, and minutiae of the Jewish law, then God is not going to be happy with you and you won't be saved. That's what the people were saying to, to the Galatians and Paul, far away, he hears of this and he writes to them, and, and he's saying, we've seen over the f past few weeks, says, Paul, not only is that a stupid argument, it's a dangerous argument, and just, it's stupid. Again, ridiculous. Remember, two weeks ago, we looked at the first bit of Galatians chapter 3, and, and Paul was really focusing in on, on how our experience of God is always one of grace. And remember, he said we... Uh, our beginning of our Christian journey with God came through grace. And, and our current experience of God's power at work in the world is, is through grace. And the only reason that we're going to finish the race that is this life with Jesus Christ is by grace. Everything is about grace. And he looked at, at chapter 3, verse 6, and he said, well, well think about Abraham, the, the man of faith, and, and his story. And said, Paul, even back then, it was all about grace, all about trusting God, all about faith. Because never in the history of God dealing with humanity has God ever said, 
you need to prove yourselves good enough for me. That's what we say. <laughs> you know, what I want to do this morning is just to tease this, this most brilliant of truth. Uh, I want to tease it out a bit. You know, some of you would maybe say, this is old stuff, Nick. Grace, not law. Faith, not works. Got it. I've learned that a hundred times over. I'm glad you've learned it a hundred times over. Let's learn it a hundred and one times. Because this message is, 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 if we've got this, we've got the gospel. If we've got this, everything else falls into place. This is the corner piece to a jigsaw puzzle. You, you know, when you make a jigsaw puzzle, if you don't find the corner piece, just about impossible to make it. This is the corner piece. Um, it, it's, it's like, how else can I put it? It's like you're, you're a pirate digging for treasure. And you uncover the lid of the treasure chest. You found the treasure. You don't then go back to the ship and sail away. You keep digging. You, you dig it out until you've got every single last gold doubloon from the treasure chest in your hands because it is so exciting and valuable. So what does Paul say? He says, verse 10, if, if today you and I said we are going to rely on doing the law, on, on doing everything that God wants to make God smile, if we were to say that we will be good people for God, it's not going to work. As we all know, we're natural born sinners. We're, we're natural born lawbreakers. I will put my hand up and admit that there have been numerous times when I've been on my way to church or another Christian function that I have sped. Don't look at me, Steve. <laughs> I know he works for the traffic department. <laughs> I have sped in my car to get to a church service. And do you see the irony of that? I'm saying, yeah, I'm, I'm being good. I'm going to church. I'm going to worship God. But I'm speeding to get there. We are lawbreakers just down at the deepest part of our, of our souls. And says Paul in the verses that, that Karen read to us, if we fail to keep just a single one of God's laws, which, by the way, includes the law of the land, then we are cursed of God. Yesterday afternoon, I was up at the Perth Bible College graduation, and, and um, some of the people there did really well. They got their certificates sort of framed, and, and, and that means they got a distinction in their assignments. And maybe some of us think that we can go to God and say, look, God, I got a distinction in being good. I never did this. I never swore. I never whatever. List all the good things that we've done. Yeah, I slipped up on that question, but 85%, I did really well, didn't I, God? But unfortunately, the pass mark for heaven, the pass mark for knowing God is 100%. That's what Paul says. We are cursed of God if we do not keep every single, single bit of the law. And so isn't it good news in verse 11 there where Paul's quoting from Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, the righteous will live by faith. Brilliant quotation. And you know, the first reading of it, I say, the righteous will live by their faith or, or making it even more personal, I will live by my faith. It's not wrong. 
if we put our trust in Jesus, we will live. But the more I think of it, the problem is what Paul has just said in verse 10. And what he says in verse 12 and 13. We're not righteous, are we? What does he say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. You know, we can't read verse 11 and say, I will live because of my faith, because we're not righteous. We fall at the first hurdle. So, so I mean, is verse 11 good news at all? The righteous will live by their faith. I'm not righteous doesn't count. What does Paul say? He says, yes, verse 12, 13, 14, you are cursed. We are cursed. We've, we've fallen short of God's standards. We're not righteous. But Jesus, the righteous one, took the curse on himself and he hung on the tree. And verse 14, through Jesus, we are blessed. We receive the blessing of God's promises to Abraham. We, we are declared righteous. We are declared forgiven. And so, in other words, says Paul, the righteous will live by faith because the righteous one came in faithfulness to the promises that God made thousands of years back to Abraham. And so when Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4 and says, the righteous will live by faith, he's He's speaking about us, yes, but he's speaking about us indirectly. He's saying the righteous ones, the ones who have been declared righteous in Jesus through the cross of Jesus will live because of the faithfulness, same word as faith, the faith of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go back to Habakkuk 2.4 and you look at the Greek version of it, uh, the Septuagint, it actually says the righteous person will live by my faith says God. We will live because God is faithful. You know, if, if we can live, and, and that is the one thing that you can remember, is that we are not righteous, but we are righteous in Christ, and we will live because He is righteous, and He is faithful. If that is what you take out of today, and, and hopefully that bounces around your head for the next month, the next year, the next life, that's well and good. Maybe we could stop there. Maybe we could just say, that's it. The righteous will live by faith because the faithful one is righteous. But let's dig deeper. Paul says, verse 14, he says, look, I'm going I'm to take an example from real life. Let's, let's, let's give an illustration here to you Galatians. Let's give an illustration to the Comet Bayites. And he starts speaking about the promises of God made to Abraham. There's a lot of things that, that, that God promises us through his word. He, he blesses us and promises us in abundance. But I think what Paul is focusing on here in Galatians chapter 3 verse 14 onwards are the promises that God gave to Abraham, which we see in verse 14 is the promise of the Spirit, which we see in verse 7 or 8 is, is the good news of Jesus Christ is the promise that God gave, which we see in verse 26, the promise of, of God to Abraham and through Abraham to us is that we would be called children of God. In other words, when Paul is speaking about the promise of God and the promises of God, he's speaking about God's 
blessing us through Jesus and making us heirs and sons and daughters of himself. And says Paul to us, to the Galatians, he says, long ago when God made his promise to Abraham, do you know the story of Abraham? About Genesis chapter 15, if you get a chance, read it. Um, Abraham's there, he's sleeping one night, and, and, and God appears to him in a vision and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless your socks off, mate. And Abraham says, nah, not going to happen. And God says, tell you what, let me up it a bit. I'm really going to bless your socks off. And that chapter finishes with just a list of, of the blessings that God is giving to Abraham. But what does Paul say? He says, God gave the promise, the blessing to Abraham and his seed. Better word there, seed is a weird word. Um, to Abraham and his offspring. And Paul says, well, who is this offspring? Genetically, uh, Isaac, Jacob, blah, blah, blah. List them all. I can't name them all. But ultimately, says Paul, the promise of God was given to Abraham and come in the one descendant, Jesus Christ. You see that the, the, the two things, the, the promise announced, the promise delivered, Abraham the recipient, Jesus the giver, Abraham and his offspring. Remember, there's a, where is it? Paul says somewhere else, we've got to remember that every single promise of God is yes in Jesus Christ. And this is the big promise that God says, I will make you heirs and children and give you my spirit, give you myself. I mean, that's the promise. That's the good news. But, but you see what we've done there. Bear with me. This, this is a dense passage. We've got the promise given to Abraham. And then we leapfrog quite a few years and we get to Jesus. And there's the promise there and there, but, but what about the stuff in the middle? What about the law that God gave to Moses? What about all the instructions where God said, you may do this, you may do that? What about, I am the Lord your God, and you are my people, and, and you will not make yourselves graven images, and you will not this, and you will not that, and you will this, and you will that, and, and you don't eat pork, it's bad for you, but, but do eat locusts. I don't know what that was on about. What about the law? You see, the Jewish so-called Christians who'd arrived in Galatia were coming and saying, well, well, no, the law came after the promise and it's a, it's a big thing and, and you have to do it because the law shows us what God wants us to live like. Let's think about it logically, though. If, if the law comes after the promise, then logically the promise doesn't depend on the law. 
because the promise was already around before the law came. And if the promise is about our being declared righteous and being called children of God, if the promise is about our being saved, and that happened before the law ever came into the picture, then it's not the law that saves us because we have already been promised salvation before the law came. You know, I've, uh, I'm a big fan of the Narnia series of books. Uh, everyone should read those books. Uh, watch the movies if you have to, but the books are brilliant. Uh, Line the Witch in the Wardrobe, there's that scene um, where Aslan, the, the Christ figure, is crucified and, and he's resurrected. And the two girls, the Pevenese girls, arrive at the, the stone table where, where, where the Aslan was, was killed. And they find that he has been resurrected. And they say to him, what is happening here? And he turns around and says, this is deep magic. This is magic from before the beginning of time. And I think that's what we've got here in Galatians. Says Paul to us, the promise is the deep, forgive me, magic. Before time. Before the law, the promise was, it's stronger, it's, it's preemptive of, of the law, it's pre-existent to the law. It is the real deal. Someone got a pair of scissors? I'm just wondering, maybe we should just cut the, uh, the Old Testament out of our Bibles. Maybe not all, uh, Genesis is good, there's a promise in Genesis. How about Leviticus. Because we're just saying that, that the law is not as good as the promise, and the promise is all that we need, so what's the point of the law? What's the point of all these, you will do this and you will do not, not do that, and you will wear a linen ephod? I think I'm supposed to be wearing a linen ephod, officially. It's the same question that Paul preempts in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. He says, what does he say there? He says, um, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? And he says, not on your life. You've got to be joking. The law doesn't oppose the promise of God, but, but at the same time, we mustn't fall into the trap of putting them into the same box, of, of putting them into the same category. Because the fact is that the promise of God, the deep magic, gives life. But the law gives a life sentence. Or maybe if you'll excuse my speaking uh, crazily. Maybe the law was given by God to, you know, just fill in the blanks left by the promise. Um, you know what happens if, if, you, um, if you're filling in a form or, or you're starting a new bank account or you're going onto a website and, and you get the nice big page that says, join now. 
and they give you the advertising brochure and they say, it's going to be wonderful. And then they give you, when you go to sign up, they give you the fine print. And you've got to read through 133,000 pages of weird, weirdo, lorry language. And you've got to say, yes, I agree. And that's what the Jewish interlopers were arguing in Galatia. They said that the promise is well and good, but that, that's the marketing material. The law that God gave, that's the fine print. And you have to tick off on the fine print if you really want to get everything. What a pathetic argument. <laughs> We've already said the law and the promise, totally different categories. We've already seen that that the promise of God provides all that we need. It gives us righteousness. It gives us God Himself. I mean, all the details are already sorted out in the promise. God says, I have decided that I will bless you. And says Paul, verse 14, 15 over there, he says, Look, once, a, once a, an agreement is in place, you don't go and change it. It's done. It's, it's written in stone. I was listening to some of the uh, parliament the other day. Lovely. Uh, it just puts a smile on your face to hear them bicker. Um, but they were talking about the, the National Broadband Network and, and um, whatever you think about that. The bill was for the Telstra bill and it had gone through the houses and come back for an amendment and and the liberals were saying, well, we want to tack on a different amendment to this bill which will change it totally. And the Speaker of the House said, look, actually, you're not allowed to do that. Because when something is agreed to in principle, you don't tack something else on. When the promise of God came to Abraham, it's not like you can go 430 years later and say, oh, we forgot about this bit and this bit and this bit and this bit. It's sorted once and for all. At Abraham, God says, I'm going to do this. At Jesus, God says, well, I've done it now. The law is like, it's like a contract. But the promise is a gift. So why did God give the law? If we've got all that we need, if, if, if we've been given this most wonderful gift of life and righteousness in God himself, why did God give the law? It's pretty clear that he didn't give the law because there was something lacking in the promise. It says Paul to us instead, no, God gave the law because there was something lacking in us. The law was added because of transgressions until the coming of the seed. And yes, the promise of God's blessing was given to Abraham, but, but Abraham himself and, and everyone since Abraham have, have been sinful humans. Just like us before we met with Jesus, we, we ourselves were transgressors. We were trespassers over the boundaries of what God says is good and right and proper and holy. Uh, N.T. Wright puts it brilliantly. He says, the, the people who had the solution to the problem, Abraham, the promise, they had the solution, but at the same time, they were part of the problem. 
those with the solution were part of the problem. Or to put it another way, as Paul does in verse 22, says God through his word, we are all prisoners of sin. Verse 23, it's like law that that God gave is is, is a, a prison guard around God's people. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. He says, the law held us in protective custody. So as Paul is looking back at the timeline of God's history with people, he says, the promise is given. People are still sinful. The law comes and, 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 and boxes in that sinfulness a little bit. Not to make people better. Righteousness could come through the law. What would be the point of the promise? But says Paul, no, no, the law comes and holds us in protective custody, boxes us in so that we will realize how desperately we need God and how much we need His promise and how unable we are to save ourselves. I think there's a um, psychological thing called Stockholm Syndrome. It's where you're kidnapped and you become emotionally attached to your kidnappers. Unfortunately, we we seem to be pretty prone to it as as humanity because we've got Stockholm Syndrome to sin. The law, uh, and we've got Stockholm Syndrome to the law as well. The, The law is meant to hold us in place and keep us focused and realizing how much we need God to rescue us But instead, we're just saying, oh, isn't it wonderful that we can keep all the rules and we can say, yes, I'm doing well. I'm doing 85% well. I haven't broken out of prison more than twice this week. It's brilliant. But says Paul, what we've got to remember is that the law was always only meant to be a temporary prison guard. As the law is part of this period between the promise given and the promise received. And after the promise has come and we have all that we need for life and righteousness and we have God himself, there's no need for the law. It's unnecessary. Bear with me. One, one final change of imagery. Chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says that, that, that before we came to know Jesus, before Jesus came to know us, we were like kids with a nanny or a governess. Now, I'm not talking Mary Poppins type of nanny with you know, a spoonful of sugar kind of thing. I'm talking a nasty governess who stands over you and says, do your homework. Do the right thing. Don't do that. Don't do that. And when Paul says that he describes this, this, uh, this nanny, this, this um, what does he call it there, a, a guardian and trustee. He says, this, this is like being enslaved to the basic principles of the world. I guess if you're a parent, one of the things you try and do is to, to bring your kids up and, and you, you're teaching them to, to pray, to read the Bible, to go to church, to spend time with God, to to be good people, to be godly people. So that when they grow up and become adults, hopefully they will want to know God and be godly people. 
and says, Paul, the fact of the matter is that after Jesus came, we are no longer children, we are adults. Not because suddenly we've grown up, but because Jesus came into this earth. And we were joined with him, and we were baptized with him. And there is, uh, I love what he says there in about verse 2. He says there is no difference. We're all one in Christ. So should we tear the Old Testament out of our Bibles? Yes, we're no longer enslaved to it. Yes, it's, it's no longer the guardian over our lives. Yes, we have all that we need for life and light and, and, and eternity and righteousness in Jesus Christ, but we still respect it. It still shows us something of who God is, but, but it doesn't control us. Let me finish on a, a Christmas illustration. Um, my extended family is huge. And um, just about every single year since I can remember, we have a big family gathering. I remember as a kid, if you've got 35, 40 people there, the adults sit at the adult table, and the kids sit at the little kids' table over there. And every year, my brothers and sisters and I would fight to say, who's going to sit at the adult table? says Paul to us we are at the adult table more than that we are children of God we are one with God we are in God we are God in us we are heirs of salvation the promise made so long ago is ours in Christ the time has come time has fully come because God sent his son born of a woman born under law to redeem us under law that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters of God I dare you not to say hallelujah <laughs> isn't that wonderful news you know what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there how can I get any more amazing than that. Father God, thank you so much that we are your children. Lord, thank you that, that we can look back through time and we can see how, how the promises that you made to Abraham all those thousands and thousands of years ago have come true for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you didn't make the promise and then disappear and, and leave us to, to our own sinfulness, but that you in your, in your love held us and pointed us back to you. Father, I pray that, that we would not go back to living as kids in your household, Lord, but that we would be excited and stand up as your sons and your daughters mature in you, celebrating the fact that you are our God, the promise keeper, the righteous one, the faithful one, and that us who you have declared righteous by faith will live because the righteous one has been faithful. Amen.
Well, just a lovely song to finish off and take with us into the week. <coughs> yeah, so um, it's all about the, the new one that we sung last week, actually, I See You. So let's stand and sing that. That's um, great encouragement. We'll see, uh, take our Lord with us. He takes us. We're in him. He's in us um, in, for the coming week. this morning in our worship and uh, we pray you have been a blessing to you dear Lord we just uh, take the words of that song and uh, ask that you will take us by the hand this week and lead us lead us through the week lead us to uh, speak about your grace your good news the gospel to others who don't know you as we come up to this Christmas time Father Lord we know that you're mighty to save just give us a heart of love and a life of service Lord for your glory's sake we pray Amen uh, reminder again, we're just going to stay where you are, have a seat, and uh, we're going to just do this uh, nomination election. Okay. Wonderful. Um, Steve, are you around? Uh, just for those of you, hopefully you should all know by now, um, if you're a member, if you're not a member, feel free to wander off and get started on the coffee or the cakes. Um, we're just going to have one item on a, a special members meeting agenda today and that's um, voting on Steve's nomination to the elder. Uh, before we vote, just one last opportunity. Any questions or comments that you would like to ask Steve? Steve, if there's anything you'd like to say.
Thank you. An anybody got any questions for Steve? In that case, I'd like to move a motion that I'm going to ask uh, Steve and Karen Pickersgill, if you could be the uh, scrutineers, look at us finally. Um, you should all have received a piece of paper from Glennis. Um, we'll just um, spend one minute, if you can just write on there, yes, if you do want Steve to be an elder, um, put no if you don't. Uh, sign your name so that we can come and look after you uh, afterwards. Don't sign your names. Okay. Hey. 